So thank you for joining us on Let the Healing Begin podcast. I'm your host, Asia. And today we have Debbie Baisden. Did I say that right? You did. Yeah. <laughs> How are you? I'm so great. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, so let's start with telling everyone where you're from. So I am from North Carolina. I've pretty much lived in the South my whole life, hence the thick accent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I can hear it. <laughs> okay. So you grew up there, born and raised? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I've kind of moved around different parts of North Carolina for the longest time. So I really enjoy it. I do like to travel, but I like calling North Carolina home. That's good. So what, out of all those places that you've lived in North Carolina, which would you say is your favorite? Probably where I am now, which is Winston-Salem, because you can get to the mountains in two hours and you can get to the beach in four hours. So it's kind of nice to be able to have, you know, your choice of destination just yeah, like that close. So it's, it's nice to not be landlocked, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's really dope. I like that. Yeah. So <clears throat> growing up, let's talk about like how it was when you grew up. Did you grow up with a two-parent household? How was that? Yeah, my parents were um, together until they divorced when I was 18. So I'm the youngest of four kids. I've got a brother and then my sisters are twins. So I'm the baby of the family. And, you know, I feel like I had... When I look back on my childhood, especially now that I'm a mom and look back on things as a like from the perspective of a parent, I'm like, how in the world did y'all raise four kids? How did you put up with me? Because I was a terror. So I'm really grateful. I feel like my family was very loving, very kind. I mean, we were crazy. <laughs> we put the fun in dysfunctional, but you know, I really, I really like my family members even today. <laughs> That's good. So growing up, like, did you and your brothers and sisters all get along pretty well? We mostly did. I think the older three would clash and they would, you know, chase each other around the house or there'd be holes punched in the wall, that kind of thing. I was mostly the guinea pig of like, hey, go see if mom and dad will buy us some donuts so that we can <laughs> and we can skip church. <laughs> like I was the one that was like, well, I just want them to like me. So I guess I'll go ask mom and dad if we can skip church and eat donuts. So. <laughs> <laughs> and how often would they, what would they, what would their reaction be like with that? Well, you had to, you, you know, you kind of have to feel the waters. You kind of have to like test, is this a good time? Like, how do I frame everything? Because most of the time they looked at me like I was crazy and they were like, no. <laughs> And then I'm looking at my siblings who are like, come on, don't let us down. Do you want to be in the group or not? Like they, you know, they would joke with me being the youngest. They would tell me that, you know, you're not one of us. You were adopted. You're not our real sister. <laughs> Just taunting me constantly. But, you know, I think that's that's how sibling relationships work. Right? <laughs> so you grew up in, in church and everything like that. Yeah. Um, now, let me ask you this, like, uh, well, actually, let me back up some. So you said your parents divorced when you were 18. <clears throat> now, how did, how did, how was it, like, how did that affect you? Uh, it was brutal. It was really, really difficult. I, I'll be honest, I was very angry at the situation I because I always felt bad for my friends who were like, my parents are splitting up. I'm like, oh, well, I'll never have to do that because my parents are Christians. And it's like, no, actually, even Christians sometimes don't have marriages that last. So I think I was 
I was devastated and I definitely went through a lot of anger with that. Um, I appreciate having like a solid foundation until I was 18. I don't want to take that for granted, but it's definitely not what I ever envisioned or wanted for my parents or my myself. So it was a rough go, but it was also right as I'm like graduating high school. So you just, you're kind of moving into your own at that point. So I'm like, well, this is, I can't change the situation. So I just need to adapt and overcome basically. Okay. Now with the anger and stuff that you felt, did you ever like um, take time to express that to either one of your parents? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was very, very expressed. I, if I could go back, I would think I would be more adult about it, be more civil. I was highly emotional. I think I was just so hurt by all of it that I became very reactive instead of responsive. You know, I think since then it's been nice that, you know, those issues have been mended. There's been apologies said. It's like, Again, like being a parent now, being a grown adult in my 40s, I don't think the way an 18 year old thinks anymore. And so I'm like, I'm trying to see where everybody was coming from. My mom, my dad and myself, where were we all at in, the, in that moment and not stay stuck in that. Like to stay stuck where you're always chronically angry, I feel like it's really debilitating to have growth. I mean, how are you gonna grow when you're letting anger stun you? I think it was justified anger but probably like a little too much. <laughs> but sometimes we don't understand that like while we're in it. And like you said, it's like, it's, it's crazy. Like once you grow through a situation, you can look back and notice like, you know, um, how things were in a, in a younger state of mind, you know? Um, so it's good to recognize that. Um, yeah. Now, what about your brothers and sisters? How did they deal with it? Did they ever express any anger or feelings towards it? You know, I think there was definitely hurt. I think there was, you know, a sadness of like, oh, wow, there's never going to be like, oh, all of us coming home to hang out with our parents. That is no longer a thing because my mom did move soon after that. So there wasn't really this home base for a while for any of us, just kind of, you're kind of like floating aimlessly. And so I think that because they were all older, they were probably able to process it better, still hurt, but able to just process through things and probably see it in a way that I couldn't, I couldn't really be like an outsider looking in, like maybe they could have. So I just think I was more childish, more immature. <laughs> Probably I mean, you, you did say you were the baby. <laughs> That's right. I'm milk that for all it's worth. <laughs> so, um, so you said you were raised in church. Now, when you got out, how old were you when you got out on your own? Well, I mean, I left college. You know, I, I went to college, graduated at 22. I was married soon after college, like uh i'd have to do lots of math but i think within two years of graduating i was married so i didn't have a long stretch of like living on my own you know it, it was like i was you know i stayed with my sister right after i graduated and i was a teacher so i was doing doing student teaching and you know after that you're trying to get your feet underneath you at being employed. That was a new experience of like, oh, I've got adult bills. I have adult responsibilities. But soon after I got married, so it made it a little bit easier just to, I don't know, I think I, I mean, I guess 
it was a good thing, but it's also like I haven't had long stretches where I've been fully by myself and had to provide and meet all the bills. It's kind of like I always had a teammate with me. Yeah. Um, so with your background of growing up in church, did you stay like in that faith um, as you became an, an adult or did you kind of like veer away from that? You know, I think I've always believed in God. I was raised, you know, that Jesus is real, you know, believe in him. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I, I believe, I, you know, I'm knowing script, scripture before I could read and write because I was like, yeah, my parents don't treat Jesus like some storybook character or like, oh, we only talk about that Sundays at church. It was just part of who and how we were. But that said, I was still that rebellious teenager who was like, oh, I, I still, you know, it's like, I've got fire insurance, but the way that I'm living my life, would people be like, oh, she must be a Christian. No chance, no chance. I was living for myself. I was worshiping myself and I don't want rules. I'm going to do whatever I want. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm still pretty good. You know, I'm a good person and I still love Jesus. But I think it was, I, I, I don't know. I think I had to get some kind of wildness out of my system, or at least that's what I told myself. And it's, you know, after high school and college, it's like, wait a minute, this is, this is empty. I want, I want a life that's really satisfying beyond you know like oh going to parties and making bad decisions and like there has to be more significance to life so i think i kind of re-engaged kind of recommitted and i think honestly going through hard times has strengthened my faith so instead of making it doubt you know like oh i doubt god now because things are hard I think the hardships actually turn me towards him of i need you <laughs> clearly on my own i'm garbage so there was a stretch where I really wasn't very committed, unfortunately. <laughs> no, and you know what? And, and God understands that. And there's so many, like, you're not the only one, you know, I myself too. Like, I, I think you just pretty much like summed up my life because like I was raised in church as well. And so like being raised in that, it was no question, no doubt if God and Jesus was real. And it was not just on Sunday. Like we were raised in a church where we attended five, at least five times a week. So growing up, I'm like, I know God is real, you know, but I just was, like you said, rebellious. And I wanted to, you know, get stuff out of my system with the party and the drinking and the drugs and so much more. So it was like, you know, and I always felt like I couldn't go to God while in that lifestyle. So I'm like, God, you know, I'm going to get this out of my system. And then when I feel like I don't want to play anymore, then I will, you know, but then that just, it, you kind of go nowhere fast with that. Well, not kind of, but you just do. And so, like you said, I got to a point in life where I'm just like, it has to be more to life than this, you know, Right. Um, yeah. because I was just empty, you know, and um, once I decided to let God in, he came in and started filling all those spots that were so void for so many years, um, you know, that I tried to fill with drugs and alcohol. Um, and it's something that you, it's indescribable, you know, and it's only something that God can provide. That's um, true. Yeah. And like you said, in the hard times, that's not the time to doubt. That's like, look, God, I need you to step in and assist me because if I put my hands on it, you know, I need you to come on in, get in here and put your spirit on this thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what, I like how you said going nowhere fast. Yeah, yeah, that is that is the reality of how it is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. 
So you graduated college and you began teaching. What grades did you teach? I mostly taught fourth grade, which I love. I really, I always wanted to be a teacher since I was six years old. I was like, this is what I'm going to be. I, I just know it. And I was laser focused. I'm not focused about much. I'm very indecisive in so many ways, but that was something that I was like, I already know the answer to what I want to be when I grow up. So I don't, I don't know that I was a good teacher. That said, <laughs> I wanted to do it. Yeah. I want to go back and like talk to my former students and their parents and do like a blanket apology because I probably messed up a lot of kids. <laughs> it's okay. We live and we learn, right? <laughs> exactly. That's the truth. So with a new career in teaching and being newly married, did you um, begin, did you, do you have children? Yes. So we had four kids in four years. Okay. Yeah. So I had, I had had all four kids by the time I turned 30 uh -huh. because I thought, you know, I want to be a young mom with lots of energy was my thinking. So I didn't plan on having four kids. <laughs> That's how it turned out. <laughs> so four kids in four years. And, you know, it's like we had already talked beforehand of, you know, if, and when we have kids that I would, be a stay-at-home mom, which would be really tight because I married a school teacher. School teachers are not famous for being millionaires. And so we had to prioritize of what's most important. And for us, we said, you know, I want to be in the house with them as, as much as I possibly can while this works. And you get really creative financially. And again, it's another opportunity to rely on the Lord. Is he your provider or is he not? It, or do you just rely on your wallet, you know, like this safety net? And so there was no safety net. It was just like, we're gonna be, have really lean times, but we have what's most important to us. So it, it worked, it worked for a long time. <laughs> and you know what, God has walked me through this season of um, like different, differentiating between needs and wants, right? And he had me in a season of where like, I'll provide your needs, but those wants can wait, you know, and it's, it just shows you like that he's going to come through and provide like when I say God will come with resources from left field that you would and you, you would think that it's going to come like this type of way and it comes completely different, you know, but at the end of the day, like he makes sure that you have what you need and that you're not going without. Um, so I definitely understand that. Yeah. Um, very faithful. So what, how was it having four kids? I think I felt so depleted, like more of a zombie than I could ever imagine. I, you know, when people are like, it's really exhausting. I didn't know what that meant. I knew what it was like to be tired. I had no idea what it was like to be fully wiped out, just emptied of self where there were so many kids because my last pregnancy was twins. So having twins born with a two and a half year old and a four year old, it was hard to get out of the house. I felt like I'd look at the clock and they were just numbers. They meant nothing because I'm living in pajamas. I'm always covered in bodily fluids and trying to just cram in like Cheerios as I'm trying to fix meals for them. So it was very draining. It was joyful. I, I love babies, but it was really hard. I felt, you know, alone. I felt lonely and, and I just kept waiting like, y'all need to learn to be independent. I need you to need me less. <laughs> so it was, it very much reveals. I think it reveals the dark side of your character because 
I had myself convinced I'm a pretty nice person. You know, I'll smile at people at Walmart. And then I became a mom. <laughs> I, I didn't know what a terrible person I am. I'm not going to smile at anybody at Walmart because I'm mad at my kids. So I think, I think God is kind of like, hey, maybe you're not as nice as you thought. This is why you need me because you're a hot mess. <laughs> yeah. He does that. Oh my goodness. So let me ask you this. So say if some someone's listening right now in the same situation um, and they're just feeling overwhelmed, what's, if you could say one thing to them, what would it be? That's a great question. I, I really feel like I ha I needed someone to tell me over and over, like on repeat, it will get easier because I didn't think it would. I thought toddlers would be all I ever had. I didn't think they would ever become teenagers. I thought it's like, everybody kept saying, blink and you'll miss it. I'm like, I'm blinking and <laughs> I'm not missing it. <laughs> I'm like, those days are so long. So I think if I could have, I think my, you know, my time reading the Bible and praying was so rushed and so superficial because I'm exhausted. And it, I mean, ultimately it's kind of an excuse. I think in hindsight, if I could go back and just say, hey, I'm going to let Sesame Street babysit you and I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go read my Bible. I've got to pour into myself it, it, with my walk with the Lord so that then I can show up for my kids and be content, be happy. And like I have the ability and stamina to go to the park and smile at other people at the park. So I think the only way through it is through it. You know, it's really hard to just say, oh, I just love this chaotic mess. I feel like in those moments, just be real and say, this is really hard, but God is faithful, God is bigger. And just to cry out to him more, I think I should have done that more, honestly. <laughs> and you know what, it's okay to not be okay. Like, you know, it's okay to have rough days. It's okay to be like, I'm a hot mess, you know, I told, when I, when I have my days, I'm like, God, I am a hot mess. I need you to step in, you know? Right. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> like, you know, and that just, in those days, you know, I, of course, I always want God at the head of my life. Um, but especially on those days, you know? Right. Yep. Yeah. So as, as your children begin getting a little older um, and getting to like um, mid-grade school, were you still teaching? So once I had the first kid, so they're all boys, so <laughs> the first son, that's when I I hung up the teacher hat. So I only taught for a few years and I, and I thought, well, I'll just be a stay-at-home mom forever. I mean, that's what my husband wanted. He said, listen, I want you to be available. If someone gets sick at school, you take them to the doctor. If, if they play soccer, I want you to be able to go to the games. So it was still like being a teacher. I still could use some of that as like, oh, well, y'all are just my tiny classroom now. But I, I was staying at home, which I know was significant. I wouldn't have done it any other way as I look back, but it was still, <laughs> it was still really hard. And that's why when my husband passed away unexpectedly, when our sons were ages four to eight, th there was a reality check because we're blindsided by him passing away that it was like, oh my goodness, uh, he was the one that was the breadwinner. And even the, the day that I had to tell our children that their daddy was gone, that was the first thing my oldest asked. He said, well, how are we gonna have money? How will you pay for your cell phone? Wow. 
And I hadn't even thought of it because I'm trying to process that my husband is no longer on earth. And I thought, oh my goodness, I have no idea. <laughs> like, holy cow, we're gonna have to pay a light bill and I don't know what to do. So it was a very, a very tough transition to say, how do we put one step in front of the other in this new life that we're forced into? Absolutely. So I'm gonna back up a little. <clears throat> so with, when your husband passed away, you wanna tell us about how that happened? Yeah, so it was 2012. So I think, you know, it's given me time to process this. And I think also just let the Lord minister to me and to be willing and able to speak about it. But uh, long story short, I'll give you the short story so you don't have to have <laughs> the longest <laughs> podcast ever is, you know, my husband went missing and I could not get in touch with him. The boys and I were out of town while he was still in town at home. And it got to the point where neighbors couldn't find him and friends were trying to look for him. And I had to file a missing person report, which was unbelievable. That's that's not something real people do. That's stuff that only movie characters do, but it, I couldn't get him to text me back and was so far away from our house. I couldn't help look for him, but it ended up where a whole search party formed of loved ones trying to find him once his car was found behind the school where he was teaching, but they couldn't find him. And so my mother-in-law and I decided in the middle of the night, we're going to drive home. This is crazy. Something is not right. When you have to file a missing person report, something is not okay. And so once I got to the school and was basically interrogated by police, I guess they were wondering, did I kill my husband? Which I'm like, I didn't kill my husband. Let's just find him. Like He and I are good. We're not having a, a rough marriage or anything like that. But it ended up that he had died in the woods. His sister found his body in the woods after him missing for 40 hours. He had been working on a deer stand. There was a lot of you know, about a hundred acres of woods behind the school where he worked. And he was given permission to use that land to go hunting. And he had fallen from his deer stand because he wasn't strapped in. So he wasn't, he wasn't safe. It, you know, it, I don't know if he lost his balance. I will never know the full story of what happened, but he fell a, a great distance and his sister, you know, screamed when she found him and everybody went running and so it was so devastating and so surreal. It's still surreal now. And I'm coming up on 11 years and I still can't fully process that he is gone and that something so out of nowhere would happen to us because that wasn't the plan. I'm like, no, God, remember I had told you the plan is we both die in our sleep when we're 99. And that's, you're not following the rules. <laughs> so it was a reality check for me. Again, another moment. Are you going to turn towards God or are you going to put your turn away from him? And I'm like, I'm turning towards. It's all for you. I have nothing. You know, the one who I counted on to be my rock, who was probably my idol, if I'm being honest, you know, I'd become codependent on this wonderful man. And now he's gone. Just in an instant, you will never see him again. It's over. It's so permanent. It's really hard. But I think that even in those moments as you know, the wilderness detectives are going into the woods before they're bringing his body back out of the woods to put in the back of a van. I'm like, okay, God, I'm yours. I'm sold out. What do you want? I'm, I'm open 
palmed here, just face to the ground, like I'm sold out because you allowed this hardship and it didn't surprise you. It definitely surprised me, but you're going to have to be in charge of my life. So I fully in that moment surrendered, even though it was very, I felt very numb in all of this, trying to process this information. But, you know, again, if God had been faithful up until that day, so why would he not be faithful moving forward? So even though it was crushing to my heart, I had to say, well, we're all gonna die. I didn't want this, it's very hard. I'm still trying to, you know, process and heal from it. But I'm like, but again, you're the one who never leaves, you never forsake, you're constant and you're eternal. And that's what it's like to actually walk the walk as a Christian. If we're being honest, if that's what it really is as a believer to say, I love you unconditionally because he's loving us. <laughs> Absolutely. So how did your kids take it? I learned that kids process grief differently than adults. I, I had about four hours before my kids were being driven up by their grandfather. They didn't know anything. And I said, I've got four hours to process. My husband is dead. My husband is dead. My husband is dead. I'm trying to repeat this to make it a reality. And then once they got to the house, I had to pray like I've never prayed before because I was like, I physically can't make the words come out of my mouth. I can't maneuver my tongue to say this sentence. So I'm begging and pleading with God at this point going, take this from us. Don't make it real. Bring him back to life. You can do this. You can do anything. Just take this, take this nightmare and make it all disappear. And he didn't, he, he stayed quiet. And so my kids come barreling in because they're young ages, you know, four, four, seven, and eight. And they're like, what's going on? Why are there so many cars at the house? Why did you make us come home? What's happening? And I could tell my oldest son had already figured it out. He was very quiet, but I could read his face. And I just said, I need no one to talk. Please don't interrupt me. And, and so I just prayed that one final prayer of God help me, took a deep breath and said, I'm sorry to tell you that your husband, your, not your husband, your daddy is dead. He has fallen from a tree. He was trying to look for deer and he is now in heaven. And I'm really sorry. If I could have reversed this, I would have. If your dad knew he was gonna have an accident, he wouldn't have gone into the woods. I don't know how to make this real, but I love you and I'm here for you. And I'm just weeping at this point, just uh, sobbing relentlessly and trying to hug my kids. And they were very quiet. They didn't really say much of anything. Um, I said, you, you know, you can feel any way you wanna feel. You can ask any questions you wanna ask. If you're angry, if you're sad, if you're confused, let's talk all of that out. I think they were mostly stunned and didn't have much to say. And they, even with those little minds, you know, little four-year-old babies, they understood. There was never a time after that where they said, I think I just heard daddy's car pull in the driveway or when can we go, you know, see daddy or, or you know, maybe he'll come back in a year. There was none of that. They very quickly understood there is a great chasm between here and eternity. It is very fixed. and. So I think they were doing, one child uh, in particular was doing a lot of what ifs. Why didn't you catch him? Why was there not a mattress at the bottom of the tree? Why didn't he wear a parachute? Why is there not a magic ring to bring him back to life? And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, 
that would have been that would have been a good thing. I wish there would have been. I wish there was a magic ring or we could have prevented this, but I did try to use that as we can't change this. I wish we could, you know, I tried to let them see me have breakdowns as I felt like it was appropriate so that I could say, but God, it's always, but God, but, you, but your daddy is not hurting in the forest anymore. He, he is experiencing a joy we can't understand. He's looking at the face of God. Let's learn what the Bible says about heaven. Let's see this as an opportunity that not every kid gets and let's, Let's see if he's real or not. You know, let's let's learn more about him. So I did try to find as many silver linings as possible, but I if I could have ever spared anybody from anything, it would be from intentionally hurting your kids. I had to know you're about to hurt your kids forever. Do you feel like part of um <clears throat> your healing process like like, cause I know this is hard to, you know, and I, I tip my hat to you, you know, you're such a strong woman. Um, do you feel like there were days when your children, um, when, when God used them as vessels to kind of like put a smile on your face or to help you along the pro- with the process? Yeah, I, if I didn't have them, I feel like then I would have been the typical person like rocking in a corner, clutching a whiskey bottle, you know, just drowning in my tears. I think I was forced to be responsible. My, my in-laws did stay with us for two weeks. So I was not alone day one, like figure it out. I had so much support. I'm so grateful for that. But the months after when, when you're like, how, how do I go to two soccer fields when I'm one parent? I had never envisioned. I was like, I, re- I feel really bad for single parents, but that'll never be me. Kind of like, oh, my parents will never divorce. Anytime you say never, God is like, you sure? <laughs> you sure about that? <laughs> and so by being forced to say like, you have to fully, you can't rely on people because I had no person coming home at five o'clock. There was no one going to help with homework or baths or dishes. I'm like, okay, this, this Christianity thing has to be real, like real, real, like tangible, real, and knowing you still have to mother these kids. You're still a family. You're just a smaller family. And I tried to be two parents unsuccessfully. I was one and a half on my best days, but mostly I wasn't even one parent because of the pain. So just knowing you have to keep feeding them and you do have to give the baths and you do have to do the homework that was God enabling me to do that because inside I'm feeling like I'm disintegrating with pain and grief, but you know, God equips and he provides like we've talked about. And he's like, either I'm real or I'm not either. I'm everything I'm omnipotent or I'm not. And so he continually was like, just today, that's all I could do. And so with people having hard times, if they have little kids and they're feeling like they're drowning, Just focus on the next five minutes, the next 60 minutes. All that matters is one day at a time. And so I do think that helped me from being crippled forever in that mourning phase, if that makes sense. So, I mean, kids are just so young and spirited that it really did help me to experience joy amidst the suffering, which was a huge gift to me, just to see them laugh and smile and run around. I'm like, okay, hope is still in existence (laughs) absolutely and you know what it says somewhere in the bible um you know about um worry 
just about today, like tomorrow's gonna bring its own set of problems. Um, and God has shown me that so much, you know, and it has helped lighten the load, you know, because it's like, I don't even know if I'm gonna make it to tomorrow, you know? Right. Um, and so he just wants us to rest in him and know that he's already going ahead of us, you know, if we live to see tomorrow, that he's already going ahead and making the way straight for us. Yeah. Um, so with processing the grief and everything, um, because man, you, you do a lot better than a lot of us, right? With the grief, you know, because it's hard, you know? Um, so what did you do to start like, um, expressing what you had gone through? Like, you know, um, what was, what was the first thing that you did as far as, because I know you had, you know, had to get it out. And Yeah. I think at first I mostly only wanted to share with close friends. I, I really, I couldn't handle anything beyond that. It was a very surreal thing because people would come out of the woodwork. People I wasn't friends with would message me and say, I really want to take you to lunch. And I'm like, why? We're not friends. What are you doing? This isn't the time where I'm trying to expand my friend circle. I thought that was weird. I honestly, if I could give advice to people, I'm like, don't, don't do weird, <laughs> creepy things like that. Don't, don't try to be friends with someone who's suffering. If you're not already friends with them, just keep the same level of friendship. Just send a card and be on your way. So for me, that was very challenging to to handle as i already felt like i had so much on my plate even with just paperwork but i think i also wanted to put i felt like this overflowing within me of i still need to share about the goodness of god that was very important to me because it was while people are justified to be angry at god to doubt god to question great that wasn't my particular journey I, I just wanted people to know that God is still good. Every circumstance we go through has got to be pointing to how can we glorify him and not focus on, aren't y'all so sad with me? Aren't we so sad? So I think I, you know, I would post on social media and, and still do every single month since Aaron passed away. I, I try to give people a challenge, hug your loved ones. What if today is it? kiss them goodbye, make that kiss count, all of these things of cherishing the mundane monotony because you'll miss it if it's ever gone. And I hope it never is. I hope no one else has to deal with death, but we probably will. And so I think very soon after several church groups would start asking me to speak and share about what I had been through and how, again, it's about how did Christ sustain me? How has Christ used that to refine me? And Ultimately, when I've spoken to groups or did, done different podcasts or written different blogs, my whole point is let's find purpose in our pain. Let, let's glorify him and rejoice, even though things are really hard things are really dark and there's so much hardship and you're like, there's not going to be a way out. There's no hope to say, wait a minute, God is bigger than all of this pain. He can handle it dump it all on him and keep your eyes on him. So I think I've, I've tried to, um, <laughs> it's kind of scary sometimes to put yourself out there, but I feel like maybe part of my story is your story and a hundred other people's story of what's our pilgrimage in this Christian walk that we're all living in different ways. So let me ask you this, say as someone out there that's just grieving, you know, because grief, doesn't have like a time limit you know all of us handle grief differently and 
there are some people that don't have a up close and, and personal relationship with God. And, you know, sometimes people just see, like, they feel like there's no way out of this depression or this, this low feeling or, you know, all the many things that come with grief. Um, what, what would you say to someone that's grieving that just can't seem to find a way out or can't see, can't seem to find to, to shake back to, you know, feeling like they can breathe? Right. I do think it helps to talk to other people that you're they're already close with, that you already trust to just something about making it announced outside of your head to say, hey, I'm not doing well. I'm I'm I can't get out of bed. I can't function. I can't see a tomorrow even happening because I think that's very normal to feel that way. It's very justified to say, I feel stuck. I feel like I'm in the dark and I, I can't find the door to get out. I think talking to other people is helpful. I benefited a lot from grief counseling. I'm a huge fan of counseling. I got my kids in counseling because it's like, again, just we need to verbally vomit it out so that then that we're having the active healing happen. So the wound doesn't fester because I feel like that's when it gets really dangerous as you spend the rest of your days stuck. You're just paralyzed and never having any growth or freedom. So I think that that's kind of as secular as I can go because it, the way I see our whole existence, most of our existence is gonna be either in heaven or not in heaven. There, there's not really a, a whole bunch of choices. And so we're here for such a short time and if God's word says, apart from me, you can do nothing, I take that very seriously. I, I can't even inhale and exhale uh, unless God has put that air in my lungs. So I'm like, to be frank, if you don't yet believe in Jesus, that's okay. He can handle that doubt. But I would just, I would just get on my knees and be like, okay, God, help me out. If you're real, <laughs> help me. And he's so faithful. He he wants that. That's absolutely his will and his purpose for you is to be his. But I think, you know, we we tend to be like, well, I'm not sure. Maybe he's not trustworthy. He allowed this hardship because that's where one of my sons is. I do think this death of his father has made God scary and unreliable and untrustworthy. So I, I totally understand not believing, but ultimately without him we have nothing and it i think it will be that much harder to move through the grieving process to get to a place where you feel okay without him i don't know i, I don't know how you i don't know how you cope i really uh, that, don't that's a that's a fact because with my grieving over the years like that's the only thing that has brought me any type of peace any type of sound mind any type of anything to the point where people are looking at me like how are you still standing and i'm like i'm telling y'all get in that bible spend some time in that secret place and i'm telling you god it's, he provides a renewal of strength beyond yes. understanding beyond what i can comprehend and explain to anyone just try it out you know he makes it so worth your while and then it's, it's so crazy because it's like Yes, God, we can't see God. God is invisible, but to see him manifest throughout our lives, you know, it's so exciting and it's so reaffirming. It's like, okay, I'm not crazy. You are real, you know, um, because it's been plenty of times I'll think something or pray, um, not even for me, like pray for something for someone else in my mind and watch it come right to fruition, you know? And it's like, okay, I knew you were real, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes, I, I know I exactly everybody what you knew. <laughs> yeah <laughs> right 
That's so true. That's well said. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like having an imaginary friend, but he's not imaginary. He's real. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it does have to be our own walk with him. It has to be genuine. And I think we can do it scared and kind of like, uh, you know, I want to believe, but I, I kind of don't yet. He knows, he already knows that if he knows everything. So I think we can have that kind of newborn relationship with him at the beginning where you're like, I don't really know. I don't really know how I feel. And he's, you know, there to guide us every step of the way. And you know what? I think he, I think he really likes that because that gives him a chance to show up and show out and, and show exactly who he is, you know? You know, that's, that's all I, all, what they say. All you need is a mustard seed of faith, you know, and, and he can take that and work with it, you know, in a, in a repentant heart and, you know, and he will turn your, you know, stone cold heart into that. Like he's, he's amazing. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> after you started like, so what, what, what type of work do you do now? So now I have two online businesses. They're both fitness focused, but definitely, you know, trying to help, especially women, busy moms to just take care of themselves. Like let's, let's move our bodies. Let's nourish our bodies wisely because we were bought at a price, right? So to trash what God has given us, you know, it's just, it's ultimately disrespectful, which none of us really want to think about in the moment. But I think both businesses are definitely the foundation is the Lord. Absolutely. I don't always put that out there. That might be more behind the scenes because it can make some people hesitant and scared. <laughs> so I just try to weave that in very naturally. But again, just how can busy women just feel good in their skin, take care of themselves so that then you're, again, better able to take care of your family, your community, your job, all of these things. I feel like we keep as women often trying to pour from an empty cup and it's just not working. And that's why, again, when I had four little babies, I was eating trash, was never exercising. I was stressed to the max. I'm having superficial time with God. Of course, I'm hanging on by a thread. Of course you are. So I would go back and do that differently. So now I'm trying to help moms of all ages, whether you're, you've got a newborn or you're a great grandma, I just want to be able to help women and again, ultimately magnify God. I appreciate that. I love that. Um, <laughs> so I got an, I got one more question for you. So no, two more questions. So the first one, um, so if, if, if you could do like a blanket nutritional advice for all women, like just a starting point for women, what would it be? I would say eat foods, God grows. That's the, that's the foundation. It, it, <laughs> Eat foods, God grows. So that's it's that simple. It really is. Don't make it complicated. <laughs> that's good. That's good stuff. Eat off. What does it say? Eat off the land. There, oh, I like eat that. Off, that that works. <laughs> that's so true. Yes. <laughs> I like that. Okay. And um, uh, before we wrap this up, last question. So, if people want to work with you, how can we find you? And what's the name of your business? Um, do you have any Facebook groups, books, anything like that? So um, I've got three different websites. One of them is mymomsanity.com because our business is called Mom Sanity because all moms are crazy. <laughs> the second one is fitwithdeb.com, which again, you're happy to reach out. I do coaching and have group programs. With Mom Sanity, we have 
a membership. We sell products on Amazon. And then if you're just interested in reading about faith and grief, I do blog at DebbieWilkinsBasedin.com, which is a very long name, <laughs> but I'm definitely on Facebook. I do have a Facebook group specifically for those who have been widowed that I always, I, I hate if the group grows. I, I want the group to never grow ever. But if you find someone you know in that situation, I would love to be able to connect just because again, my whole goal is let's lift each other up and, and be here for each other. Absolutely. I appreciate your time. I, I'm so it. grateful for this opportunity. You're just radiant. Oh, I think <laughs> it's God. I'm telling you, it's, it's nothing but God. It's nothing but God. And oh, I, I'm truly grateful. Um, you know, I, I love, I don't consider this work because, you know, he placed this in my heart to do. So I'm appreciative of the platform that he's given me and the people that I'm meeting, you know, and all like the people that are so courageous and are, you know, walking in um, boldness to share their story um, in hopes of helping others. I, I'm grateful for that. Well, I'm I'm proud of you for being obedient to what he's called you to do. I'm trying, and you know, <laughs> and and when he first gave me this, I'm like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, you know, I would try to practice on my phone. I'm like, Lord, this sounds like trash. And he's like, It does not have to be perfect. <laughs> Just get it out there. I'll show you how to do it as you go. And he has not failed me yet. Wow, I love that. That's like Moses. <laughs> and that's that's cool. <laughs> You know, so I'm trying, I'm, I'm very grateful and I'm just, it's a journey, you know? And so on this journey, he's, it's not, he's showing me that it's not about the destination. It's about the journey and to fall in love with the process. So. Yeah. I love that. Going. You're doing it. What a privilege for me to be a part of it. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you. Well, thank you everybody for joining us on Let the Hip. For joining us on Let the Healing Begin podcast, please head over to www.greatergrowthllc.com, support the t-shirt and hoodie store, and then also you can support by purchasing a copy of my book, Back in My Day on Amazon by Asia Wilson, and until next time.